We thank you for, uh, for being a good God. We thank you for the things that we do know, and we also thank you for the things that we don't know, that we don't understand, Lord. We thank you that we can have joy and we can have laughter. We can be creative, Father God, that you can speak directly to us, Lord, that you'll minister to our hearts, minister to our minds. Lord, you made us this way. You are our creator, Lord God. This morning as we come to you, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would open our minds, Father God, that everyone that walked into this place would walk out, change, transform, Lord, more aware of who you are, what your desire is, Lord God, what you have planned, what your purposes are for our future, Lord, that we would seek you with all of ourselves, Lord, not just with our hearts, not just with our emotions, not just with physically showing up, but with the very minds that you gave us, Lord God, that we would contemplate on the things that you've said, that we would meditate upon your word, Lord God, that we would pray and speak to you, Lord, according to your word, and that our ears would be attentive, Lord, listening for your voice, Lord. Continue to have your way. We love you this morning. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 You can be seated. You can be seated. <clears throat> so, we're in the middle, or actually I shouldn't say the middle, we're at the end of our series, which is E equals MC squared. I think we have uh, the picture. We've been talking about relative righteousness. You know, when we first started the series, we, we kind of got into, uh, not like we're mathematicians, but we talked about changing the equation from what it was when Einstein developed it, right? The E represents power, according to Einstein, right? Energy or power. The M is mass. The C squared is the speed of light multiplied by the speed of light, and that's his theory of relativity. Whatever you change with that M, that mass, is going to change the amount of power. It's going to change the amount of impact that it has. It's all relative to the size or the mass uh, in the equation, right? But what we talked about is that power representing the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, he told the disciples when he ascended back to heaven, he said, stay here, wait. And if you do that, you will be endued with power from on high. He said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to empower you to do the things that I've asked you to do, right? So we said that that E represents the Holy Spirit. We said that the M represents Christ because he's the perfect mass, right? He is the substance of what we've been hoping for, right? And he's the evidence of what we cannot see. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 says. What that means is that if he is in the equation, if he is what, is what light of, of God is multiplied by every single time, it's going to be the perfect, the perfect amount of power, the perfect amount of impact in our lives. When we insert ourselves into the equation for that mass, for that substance, it always blows up in our face. Right. It's either no impact whatsoever because we're unrighteous, we're unholy. Even when we look good, we're blowing, or excuse me, we're glowing light blue from the inside, right? So it's there, sin is in us, the equation blows up. Or what many of us have experienced is when we insert ourselves into the equation, it's like an atomic bomb that goes off in our families and in our friendships, in our relationships, right? So we need the Lord to be there. And then that C squared, uh, the speed of light multiplied by the speed of light, so it's by itself, we talked about that being God, right? God times God, he's, in, he's infinite already, right? But when you multiply God the Father times God the Son, what you end up with is God the Holy Spirit. They are a trinity. Any two that you put together, you end up with the completeness of the other. So we need all of them. What we've been talking about um, up until this point, I really want to transition as we close this series. I want to talk about truth this morning. Right? I want to talk about the pursuit of truth. Trying to find truth. In this, in this church, 
whether it's our courses that we've been developing and encouraging people to get into, whether it's our Wednesday night Bible study, we go chapter after chapter, verse after verse. We're wrestling with these things, right? Whether it's our outreaches that we do. We have Sidewalk Sanctuary, right? Just this last week, we were down downtown Brea uh, handing out tracts and talking to people about God, asking if they needed prayer. A couple of weeks ago, we were down in the riverbed with the homeless folks, and we were out there giving them food, right? But Jesus said, you shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from my mouth. We're out there trying to give them truth about how valuable they are. You guys heard me talk about this a couple weeks ago. A family was riding through the riverbed and saw us feeding and said, don't feed these people. They're not valuable. They're pigeons. And what you're doing is feeding pigeons in the riverbed. See, that's a lie. And what we came to tell them was the truth, right? So this morning, as we look at the things of God, the plans of God, the will of God, what it really has to be is a passionate pursuit of the truth. Passionate pursuit of the truth. Everything we do should be about edifying and equipping the saints of God or making those who don't know God more aware. Had a classroom full of young people up here this morning, and they're asking questions that many of us are asking or many of us have asked at some point in our lives. And I guarantee you this, there's a lot of people out there in the world that are asking the same questions that you heard asked this morning. But can you answer those questions? Are you confident in the answers that you have for those questions? Is it something that you know to be true and that you've experienced for yourself? We're not regurgitating information that somebody told us. It's something that we've received and we hold true as our own that we need to be able to share with others. I'll tell you this, I know a lot about lies. I know a lot about information, but I also know the truth. And when you compare, they're anything but relative. Many of us used to live in lies, we used to tell lies, right? We knew that people were lying to us and we just accepted because we didn't even want to deal with the truth, right? Many of us have gotten to a place where even good information, some of us have jobs, some of us have careers, some of these young people are in school, you're getting good information. I watched one of the, the young adults post something uh, on Facebook. Yes, I track everybody's Facebook. <laughs> but I watched one of them post something because they recently are taking a class on world religions and I thought to myself, it's interesting. You go through a 10-week course on world religions and now you think you have some information that is valuable enough to put out into the world as if it's truth. You may be able to uh, post about what you learned in that class, but that doesn't make it true. Amen. It's just information. We need to be able to determine what the difference is between a lie, information, and truth. When Jesus was about to be crucified, I think some of the most important words that uh, he ever spoke were right in that, that, those last few moments, hours, a day maybe. Uh, they say that when somebody's on their deathbed, that's when the truth comes out, right? That you should really listen to what they have to say because they know this is the last thing that they're going to be able to say. So in the last couple of days, if you get a chance, read back through what happened with the Lord, the Lord's Supper, talking to the disciples, uh, instituting communion, all those kind of things. But one of the things that he spoke, he said this in John chapter 18, verse 37. It says, Pilate therefore said to him, are you a king then? Jesus answered, you say rightly that I'm a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. Say truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Some important things he's saying here. Pilate says, what is truth? You know why? Because to Pilate, truth was relative, right? What does that mean, truth was relative to him? 
uh, a rich man, a governor, somebody like Pilate who had authority, he might make a statement like, life is good. And to him, that's true. But there are people that he governed who were slaves, who had no freedom, who had no family, who had no ability to do or go wherever they wanted to go. And those people might say, life is unbearable. And to those people, it would also be true, right? So in Pilate's world, he's used to, he's used to truth being relative. Life could be great for some people and life could also be horrible for others. That's a relative truth, but that's not the kind of truth that Jesus comes to bring us. His truth is not relative. This morning, I'd say that there's a difference between an accurate interpretation of some individual circumstance and accurate interpretations of your feelings about your circumstances and then the truth. So again, three things. An individual can give you an accurate interpretation about what their circumstances are. I'm a slave and it sucks and I can't stand it and my life is unbearable. That is an accurate interpretation of their circumstances. Now, there can also be an accurate interpretation of their feelings. There are some slaves that say, you know what, I'm fine. When they came out of Egypt as slaves, many of them said, let's go back to Egypt because we had food, we had housing, right? We had a system that worked well for us and our families. We were okay with being slaves. That's their feelings about slavery. But then there's something else that's called the truth. That it doesn't matter about your circumstances, it doesn't matter how you feel, it's just true whether you like it or not, and it's true regardless of how you feel about it. Each one of you this morning, myself included, we have a set of circumstances, right? We have something we're going through right now, something we're struggling with right now, some victories we're experiencing right now, we all have our different circumstances. And when you look around any particular church, you're going to see some people who are full of joy and excited and they're running to the altar. The music hasn't even started yet. They're already down there. And then there's going to be some other people who it looks like they haven't slept in a week and they come crawling into church because of their circumstances. And they're just happy that they made it here. When you read through the scriptures, it says that Everybody had circumstances, but the difference between those who had been with Jesus is how they interpreted or how they lived through those circumstances. You know, Mary talked about uh, during worship, she talked about uh, in Acts how it says these men and these women would come in and they said, we know that they've been with Jesus because of the way they live, because of the way they talk, because of the way that they're dealing with their circumstances and their situations. There's stories we say, break every train, right? There's power in the name of Jesus. He set all of us free. There's stories of Jesus, the Spirit of God, dropping those shackles just like we said, right, tonight, and they didn't even leave the prison. They're like, look, I'm not in prison just because I'm shackled. I'm here, but I'm free already. The doors can swing wide open and my chains can fall, but my circumstances don't really matter to me because I know the truth about freedom. I know the truth about God. So they didn't even walk out. They just stayed there. The prison guard sees him in there and says, he grabs his sword, he's about to kill himself. They say, hey, don't hurt yourself. We didn't run away. You don't have to worry about it. You're not going to get in trouble. How do you deal with your situations? How do you deal with your circumstances? When things are good, are you one of those super happy people? When, when you're struggling, are you depressed and you push everybody away and you post crazy stuff on Facebook, make everybody mad? This morning, I hope you leave this place with a better understanding about the truth of your circumstances. The truth. 
Not how you interpret it, not how you feel about it, but what God would say is true. Right? Here's one thing you can do to evaluate uh, and remember when it comes to truth versus circumstances or feelings. The truth changes everything that follows it. Okay? If you feel a certain way, that might not impact or change everything that's going to happen later on. For instance, yesterday, I was frustrated. I wish, I wish uh, Professor Von Zilstein was still up here because then he could talk about Pastor Von and I wouldn't have to take it. I'm just going to tell you. So yesterday I got a little frustrated. It was a long day. We had a lot of stuff going on. And, you know, the, the church put out a message in the app. And it was like, you know, there's a lot going on. And people are preparing for, for skits and drama. And people are studying for messages. And the, the children's church is getting ready for what they're going to be teaching the kids. And the message came out through the app to everybody in the church and said, tomorrow's huge. Say huge. huge. You guys know what huge means? It means huge. It said tomorrow's a big deal. Be ready for church. Be ready for barbecue. Let's think about the loss. All the church wants you to do is look at the Facebook message and share it. So that somebody you know might say, wow, look at those pictures. They're doing something cool there. Why, why don't we just go and check it out and let's believe that God is going to do something. Within two hours, one person had shared. And it was a person I happened to be sitting next to and I said, you better share it. <laughs> <laughs> so I got angry and I got frustrated, right? I'm like, I can't stand these people. <laughs> I would never say that about you guys, right? So I'm talking with Mary, and, and by this time, it's like 9 o'clock at night. I usually put my family to bed, and I'm up on Saturday nights till at least, usually at least midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. I have a little uh, coffee shop that I go to, and I'll go through the message. I'll pray. I'll change things, right? So I was just too frustrated to do that. I was angry. I was like, I ain't preaching to them tomorrow. <laughs> and my attitude and my mind and the circumstances were starting to affect my behavior, right? So you know what I did? I went to the coffee shop anyway. I did my routine, right? So I don't know about what you guys, but I'm frustrated and something, right? I usually take a shower. It's like wash off that sin. That didn't work this time. I got out of the shower, I was still hot. So I went to the coffee shop and I sat down and then you know what I did? I put on worship music. And within about 10, 15 minutes of listening to worship music, I opened my Bible and I started reading through the scriptures. And then Mary, she knew I was hot because about 11 o'clock she texts me, babe, how you doing? It's like, girl, you know you usually sleep by 9.30. <laughs> She doing away texting me, how am I doing? And I told her, I said, because last Sunday, I hope some of you guys remember, Pastor Adam was here from Praise Chapel Orange County, and what he preached was about our minds and changing our perspective. And you know what I said? I said, I've got to implement what was preached last week. I can't just listen to the word and not actually activate it in my life. So what I did, I said, I remember what he preached last week. He said, it's about my mind and my perspective and not letting my emotions run me, right? right amen. So what I did, I sat there, I said, Lord, you are still God. It don't matter how I feel. And you know what? The only reason I feel this way, it ain't about you. It's about me and my pride. Right? I want them to share the message. You might not even want them to share it, but I ain't even talking to you about it. <laughs> so I sat there and I changed my mind. I changed my perspective. So what turned out was this. How I felt was not the truth. The way I perceived the circumstance was not the truth. The truth was, God is on the throne. He's going to bring who he wants to be in church to church. He's going to minister to who he wants to minister to. And if I don't do what he told me to do, I'm going to be the one in trouble. I'm mad at you, but I'm in trouble. We all have circumstances. Don't focus on your circumstances. Don't focus on your feelings. Worship God. Read his word and ask him, show me the truth so that I can change the way I behave. Amen? 
So truth changes everything that follows. For example, if the first words of the Bible are true, say true. true. Watch what happens to everything that follows. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. It's the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If that's true, everything that follows that is affected. If it's true, those of you that say, I struggle with reading the Bible, or I struggle with going to church, and I, I don't know this, I don't know that, listen, you need to establish something in your life right now. Are the first words of the Bible true or not? If they're true, it'll change everything. If they're not, then we can just keep living however we want to live. If it's true, then God exists. Say amen. amen. If it's true, God existed before the beginning. He's telling us that in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth, which means he must have existed prior to the beginning or what you and I know as the beginning. That's some big truth. <laughs> that makes him eternal. If you exist before the beginning and you exist after the end, that makes you eternal. That's some big truth this morning. If it's true, it means even making human beings and everything else that he created, he did it for his will the way that he wants it to be. And we're just talking about the first five or six words of the Bible. See, this truth is not relative to where you live on this planet. It's not relative to who raised you on this planet. It ain't relative to your race, your gender. It ain't relative to how much money you have or how much money you don't have. It's true for everybody, no matter what. You see the difference between circumstances and opinions and feelings and absolute truth? Right. It's not relative. If you're free or if you're a slave, it's still true. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and it changes everything. As we go through this this morning, there's two other things I want to prepare you a little, a little bit in advance. Two other things that I want to make sure that we cover about truth this morning. The first is that truth is true whether you believe it or not. I'm so excited about that. Truth is true whether you believe it or not. I remember when I got saved, I was bad before I got saved. Unlike Isaiah who tried to tell you he was good and his stuff was bl glowing blue. I'll just tell you the truth. I was jacked up, tore up, like that brown water was not brown enough for how my life was before getting saved. When I got saved, I knew that I was saved from day one. Like there was no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I knew God was real. I knew that he saved me. I physically felt burdens come off of me that I didn't even know I was carrying. There was like this pressure of sin weighing me down. Gave my life to the Lord on a Friday, on that very next Sunday at service. Never cried before like this. I was at the altar in some church I didn't know. Boogers coming out, everything. And I felt it when I got up. There was a smile on my face. I was like, oh my God, God is real. Like, I thought it was like a church thing or something like that, but he was real. And I knew for sure that I was saved. And you know what happened? Everybody else that I knew knew that I was saved. That's a lie. I walked out like everybody got an email or a text message, like everybody in the world, they just so you know, Vaughn got saved. But it wasn't like that. I knew I was saved. I knew I was changed. I knew I was different. And I tell Mary, you know, we were, we were dating at the time. I say, I'm saved. Something's different. Something changed. And she had that same look on me like, I can't stand you. I don't even like going to church with you. Should have never invited you. Now I can't get you to leave. I was like, don't you see it? Don't you know? Can't you tell that I'm changed? Can't you tell that something's different? Can't you tell that something's alive inside of me that was not alive inside of me before? 
And you know what? Even though it was true, it didn't matter that nobody else believed it because the truth is truth regardless if you believe it or not. The second one or the third one we're going to talk about is that the truth that impacts you, or excuse me, there is truth that impacts you whether you want it to or not, but there's also truth that you have to accept in order for it to impact you. Does that make sense? There's truth that will impact you, whether you want it to impact you, whether you don't want it to impact you, whether you were looking for it or not. But then there's also other truth that you have to actually seek it and accept it in order for it to impact your life. All right. Let's look again at what Jesus said to uh, Pontius Pilate. Pontius appeared to have authority over him. He had him bound in front of him, right? And he was about to make a decision on whether or not Jesus would live or die, whether he'd be crucified or set free. Let's look at it, though, in the light of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, right? Genesis 1, 1 said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So these are things that it said in the scripture I read, John 18 through 37. He said, Jesus said, I am a king. For this cause I was born, for this cause I've come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth, and everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Right? Five statements, I think it is, that he made right there. The first one, I am a king, Jesus says. If this is true, the question is, who is he the king of, and where is his kingdom? You see how you have to use your mind? Right? He says to Pilate in a conversation, yeah, it's true. What you said is true. I am a king. The next question should be, who are you the king of and where is your kingdom? It definitely ain't here because I don't see a kingdom full of people and I definitely don't see a throne that you sit on, Jesus. He says, I'm the closest thing to a king here. I'm the governor of this whole area. I only serve Caesar. He should be asking, if it's true that you're a king, who are you a king of and where is your kingdom? We know that he's the king of that place that existed before the heavens and the earth were created. Right? Remember Genesis 1.1, in the beginning I created the heavens and the earth. Right? God created the heavens and the earth, which means God's kingdom, Jesus' kingdom, is a kingdom that's beyond or prior to or above the heavens and the earth. We also know that he's the king of all who dwell in that place. There's people there. There's angels there. If you want to know who's he, who he's the king of, we know where his kingdom now is. He's the king of all those people who dwell there, and he's also the king of everyone here who would make him Lord and Savior of their life. Some truth. Jesus says to Pontius Pilate, he says, for this cause I was born. If that's true, his birth and kingship had an actual cause or purpose. It wasn't happenstance. It wasn't random. It wasn't some accident that God got birth into the world. We know, because we understand a little bit more about the story, a little bit more about this truth, he was born to save sinners from eternal damnation in hell. He was born to offer us a place in his kingdom, Amen. right? Because there's truth, but he came, he has to let us know what that truth is. He said, for this cause, I've come into the world. So think about it again. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning he created all these things. He existed before then. He says, for this cause I've come into the world. What that means is that before he was born in this world, he already existed. He was somewhere else, and then he came into the world. If that makes sense, say amen. amen. He came into the world from already existing. It's not like when one of us, uh, as a family, we get pregnant, right? There's conception. Right? Then there's a baby that grows in the stomach, and then they come out, and they scream all the time like Noel. This ain't like that. He said, I had a purpose, I had a cause, I had a plan, and I decided to come into the world. Right. We know that he had to come into the world in order to save us. That's his cause, is to save us, right? 
Why does Jesus have to come into the world in order to do that? Because in his kingdom, right, the place where he's the king of, you know there's no death there? The only way that he conquers death is to come to where death is to conquer it. Death is here. It's not part of his kingdom. So when he comes here to conquer death, what he's saying is, I love you so much that I can't stand to watch you guys die. I will come out of a place where there is no death, where there is no sin, where there is no pain, where there is no sorrow. I'll come into your world and conquer death for you, giving you an opportunity. What I'll say to you is, if you want to come to my kingdom, you can come. The last thing, the last two things he said is, he said, I did this that I should bear witness to the truth. If that's true this morning, truth needs witnesses. Listen, truth needs witnesses. All the truth in the world will impact nobody unless somebody witnesses to it. You know that Jesus was always the Savior? But unless someone would witness, people wouldn't get saved. Forgiveness has always been available and offered, right? From the very first sin, God comes back into the garden and he says, Adam, where are you? Don't hide from me. Come and talk to me. Don't cover your sin with fig leaves. Expose yourself and ask me to heal you and forgive you. We need a witness. In many cases, the truth is never heard because there's no witnesses or there are witnesses who are not willing to come forward. Think about it in in normal life. You know people get robbed and shot and killed and all kinds of stuff all the time? And you know why people get away? Because there's no witnesses. And you know why people get away even when there are witnesses? Because they're afraid to testify. So take that same concept and apply it to the things of God. There is a savior. You can be forgiven of your sins. That black water that represents your life, it can be changed and transformed and made white as snow. But where are the witnesses? And why are we afraid to testify? There are people who don't know the truth and are having to suffer the consequences of lies because the witnesses won't tell the truth. You know what the Bible says? It says, because we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Right? Let us lay aside the sin which so easily ensnares us. It says we got to be witnesses. Last thing he says, everyone who hears who is of the truth, excuse me, everyone who's of the truth hears my voice. If this is true, then men and women who were not always that way can become men and women of truth, right? I know I was not a man of truth. I don't have to know you guys personally to know that you weren't men and women of truth, but what this statement that Jesus says, if it's true, it means that people who were not men and women of truth can become men and women of truth. If it's true, it means that we can, in fact, hear the voice of Jesus. He says it himself. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. You know how many people have said, what do you mean you hear God? You can't hear God. He doesn't have a voice. He doesn't speak audibly. He's not going to talk to you. He's not going to make you aware of something. Well, if this is true, then when you say that, you're wrong. And when I say that, I'm wrong. He says, everyone who hears the truth, any real truth, not relative truth, but real truth. If you hear it, if you receive it, if you understand it, the Bible says that Jesus is talking to you. Man, that's a lot of truth. Let's think about this for a second, church. 
We've looked at three verses this morning so far, and that's enough to change everything. Three verses. If they're true, it changes everything else about you, about me, about our lives, about what's ahead of us. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. At some point in time, God came into the world in order to testify that he has a kingdom and that he wants us to become part of that kingdom. How does that affect the rich man and his perspective on life? How does that affect the slave or the poor man and their perspective on life? The single, the married, the widows, the children, the mothers, the father, your situation this morning, if it's true, does it change anything for you? Should change everything. So what do you think would happen if you take three verses that change that much about all of us and if you multiply it by the amount of verses that are here? We should be seeking truth, church. Should be seeking truth. So number one, truth changes everything. Number two, truth is true whether you believe it or not. The world was always round no matter how many people believed that it was flat. The truth is true whether you believe it or not, right? So for, just imagine this, for generations, for years, everybody thought that the world was flat. They said if you go too far, you're literally going to sail off the end of it and fall off. And everybody believed that because it was science at the time. Almost everyone has some beliefs that for whatever reason, they've decided to believe and decided to invest in and decided to live their life within those parameters, but it's not true. Just because you believe the earth is flat doesn't make it true. When God says it's round, it's spherical, that's the truth. But people would not sail into the waters. People would not venture out because of something they decided to believe. That actually was a lie. How many of us are living within parameters that are lies about us and about our family and about our friends, about our relationships, because you've decided to believe it? Because we haven't gotten the alternative truth or the word of God about those situations. So... Just because they didn't believe that the world was round, and even if they couldn't get the information, right? Maybe they couldn't sail far enough. They couldn't build strong enough ships. They couldn't, uh, you know, they couldn't see far enough with their telescopes to know that there was a galaxy. Just because they couldn't even get the information doesn't mean that it's not true. Does that make sense? There's things that you don't know. There's things that you can't see. There's information you don't have. But it doesn't change the fact and make the truth relative. It just means the truth is out of your reach right now. You should still be seeking that truth. God doesn't say, oh, just because you don't know that yet, I'm going to make it untrue for you. My son doesn't know how to add or multiply yet. He's three years old, right? Just because if I ask him what's two plus two and he says three, I'm not going to change the truth and say, you got it, son, it's three. I'm going to keep telling them the truth. It's four. That's not the right answer, son. I don't care that you can barely talk and I'm asking you mathematic equations. <laughs> truth is truth. The sad thing is, is that these people, right, they thought the world was flat. They lived and they died in ignorance. There's nothing sadder when it comes to the things of God than somebody who will live and die in ignorance. How much truth is out there that you're right now either unable to perceive or just unable to understand? Think about it. We did three verses, a lot of truth. 
How much truth do you think is out there from God, real truth, not relative truth, real truth? How much do you think is out there that you would have to say if you're honest this morning, I just haven't been able to see it. I haven't been able to perceive it yet. Somebody's actually maybe tried to tell me some of it and I just don't understand it yet. See, the honesty about not being able to get it yet is the one thing that will help you actually obtain the truth. A lot of people say, you know what, I'm never really going to know that, so why worry about it, right? If we're talking about E equals MC squared, if we're talking about gravity, if we're talking about something like that, then who cares? If you don't get it, you don't get it. It's not the end of the world. But if we're talking about your soul, if we're talking about eternity in either heaven or hell, it's pretty important that you get it. Somebody say amen. amen. Pilate was ignorant of the truth, but listen to this. It didn't change the fact that he was face to face with God and he had God in chains. Think about that. He didn't know. He didn't understand that he was talking to God. He didn't understand that every question he ever wanted answered, he could actually get it. It's right there for him. But just because he was ignorant and he didn't know, it didn't change the truth. The truth is, you have God in front of you. The truth is, instead of bowing down before him and asking him for forgiveness and for help and for understanding, you have him in chains. Because you think you're the authority, but you're really not. If what we learned is true, it means that Jesus chose to be in that situation and that he allowed it to happen. He could have changed it at any moment, but he chose not to. Listen to these verses. Picture Pilate, picture Jesus. Jesus is bound. Pilate thinks he has all this authority. When Jesus was betrayed in the garden by Judas, this is what he said in Matthew 26, 53. He tells his disciples, do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he'll provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? That's some truth. They didn't understand it. They didn't perceive it. They couldn't really see it. But Jesus says, look, What's happening to me, I'm allowing it to happen. If I didn't want it to happen, please believe me. I'm a king, and I have a kingdom, and I have power. What it means to be meek is power under restraint. He says, I could call angels down right now. The same way I can touch and heal, if I wanted to, I could touch and kill. But I'm allowing this to happen. I'm the authority. You're not the authority. I'll call angels down. John 10, 17, he said, I lay my life down that I may take it again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of myself, and I have power to lay it down and power to take it back up again. We think he's murdered and he's crucified, and how could this happen? Yes, it's ugly. Yes, it's dark. Yes, that, that, uh, that bottle of sin, it doesn't get any worse than God to create you and then you to murder him. That's the ultimate of sin, right? That's why it's the last act before the ultimate act of love and forgiveness. However, Jesus says, I did this on my own free will. I laid my life down. Last thing he told Pilate in John 19, 11, he tells Pilate, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above, from my kingdom. You know, this heavens and earth and then where I'm from, Pilate tells him, talk to me. Beg for your life. I'm going to crucify you. I have power and authority over you. And Jesus said, that's not true. That's your perspective. That's how you look at my circumstance, but that's not true. The truth is, you have no power unless my father gave it to you. Imagine if that's how you looked at your circumstance with your boss. You couldn't even be my boss unless God said you were going to be my boss. <laughs> when your husband's acting a fool, you wouldn't even be my husband unless God said you're going to be my husband. I know you're going to act right. <laughs> Think about if you looked at your circumstances as ordained by God. 
Everything that Job went through, if you go back to the beginning of the story, it says that Satan came to God. I don't want to mess up your minds, but it's true, so I'm going to tell you anyway. Satan came to God and said, the only reason he serves you is because you protect him. If you didn't protect him and you let me get at him, it'd be all bad for him. And God says, okay, I'm going to open the door. Go ahead, just don't kill him. And God was right about Job because Job's love for God was not circumstantial. It wasn't because he was blessed. It was because he knew who God was. What you need to understand this morning is this. God says I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, which means this. Anything that comes into your life, anything that comes against you, that comes against your family, that comes against your kids, it means that Satan has had to at least go through, go to God, and God has allowed that to happen to you. He's the same. Nothing happens to us, nothing comes into our life, and nothing comes against us without the knowledge of God and at least the permissive will of God. So actually when you're going through the most, God might say you're stronger than most because I wouldn't allow it into your life unless I knew you could handle it. Stop living according to the lies and start living according to the truth about you. Amen. Amen. Brings us to the last one. Last one this morning. Number three, there's truth that impacts you whether you want it to or not, and there's truth that must be accepted in order for it to impact you, right? So like, for instance, like we said earlier, gravity, it doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, it affects you. That's what keeps you on the ground. If I were to throw this at Isaiah right now, his mom would come at me. <laughs> but like gravity or oxygen, you could say, I don't believe in oxygen and I'm going to hold my breath. You're going to die, right? It affects you whether you want it to or not, whether you believe in it or not, right? The truth about God is not necessarily the same way. See, when it comes to certain aspects, like they said, I don't believe in heaven or hell. I believe that my good outweighs my bad. I'm going to go to heaven. I believe there's a lot of good people and they're all going to end up in heaven, right? So that truth is going to impact you whether you want it to not or not. When you get to the last day, what you thought was true and turns out to be a lie, believe me, you're going to feel the impacts of that <laughs> when you're cast into hell. But, but, but God... I really believed that good people would go to heaven. I'm sorry. Impact. <laughs> You're going to hell. There's certain impacts like that. Whether you believe it or not about God, they're going to impact you, right? But there's other ones, like the truth about salvation, the truth about where you're going to end up. Unless you accept that truth, unless you actually do something about that truth, it'll have no impact in your life, right? You have to come to know what salvation is, accept that as truth, and then do something about it if you want to go to heaven, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to walk in the presence and power of the living God through his Holy Spirit. You have to actually understand that truth and do something about it. So I'm going to read to you guys as we close. It's in the book of Acts chapter 10. You don't have to go there. It's going to be up on the screen for you guys. But this story is, is a culmination, I think, of everything that we've been talking about about truth, about seeking truth, about the difference between relative truth and half-truths and what has to be done. So in Acts chapter 10, verse 1, says there was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what is called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people, and he prayed to God always. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? 
So he said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging with Simon a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. And stop there at verse 8. So this man was yet to be saved, did not really know the living and true God, but he was seeking truth. Somebody say amen. Amen. It said he tried to be the best he could. He was good to the people in the neighborhood. He gave money. He gave alms to those who were needy or poor, and he prayed. Wouldn't you say he must know God and he's going to heaven? Wrong. There's a lot of people who do good things. There's a lot of philanthropists who give money to needs, right? There's people who don't know God and have given more money to starvation and hunger and sex trafficking and all these things all over the world than people who know God have given to their local church or into missions. But it doesn't mean that those people are going to heaven. That's the situation with this particular man. Good man, doing good things, seen well by the people around him. But one thing that we know, which I think is so important, is that he was seeking truth. He's praying, God, if you are real, talk to me. God, whatever I'm not doing, I want to do it. For whatever reason, I'm an authority, I have servants, I have all these things going on, but I know something is missing. His glass would have looked pretty good, but you know what would have happened when you shined the light of the Lord on it? It would have been glowing just like yours and just like mine. So because he was looking for truth, trying to honor God the best way that he knew how, God shows up for Cornelius like he wanted him to, right? One of the things I think is interesting here is... Wouldn't you think that if an angel showed up to you and said, God sees you and God hears you and you need to talk to this particular man, wouldn't you think he would just drop everything and and take off running to go find this dude, Peter? You know what he did? He calls his servants, servants, (laughs) I need to talk to Peter. And he sends them. This was actually encouraging to me. You know why? I think a lot of times when it comes to getting saved, people think that you have to get cleaned up, you have to immediately get humble, you have to do all these changes. You know what? God knew who Cornelius was before he sent his angels. God knows who you are before you're going to change. He doesn't tell Cornelius, if you humble yourself, if you get rid of your servants, if you do all this stuff, and then you crawl to go and meet Peter, then I'll speak to you. No, he's like, Just listen to the directions I gave you right now. If I said go to church, find a way to get to church. If I said get to Peter, I don't care if you send your servants or if you go yourself. I just want you to be obedient. You can be who you are. God knows who we are when we come to him. Let's connect the truth seeker with a witness. Remember earlier we said a lot of people never hear the truth because witnesses are afraid to come forward, afraid to open their mouth. Acts chapter 10, verse 9, the story goes on. The very next day, as they went on their journey, right, Cornelius sends his servants and the soldier. They drew near the city. Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven open and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. I I, want to just interject this real quick. We're at verse 11. There's something about Peter knowing that he should pray, going to pray, getting hungry, and instead of coming down to eat, he keeps praying. That's called fasting. 
right? When you're hungry and you want to meet your own need, when you can meet your own need and you deny that need so that God can speak, that's called fasting. Everybody always asks about fasting. Should I fast TV, Facebook, food, only meat, only chicken, I don't know. Just deny yourself so that you can hear from God, all right? Last night, the reason why I had to stop and interject, last night, when, when I told you I was a little bit frustrated, right, I, I, didn't, I left this part out. I'm going to tell you the truth. <laughs> I took the shower. Didn't work. So my, my number two go-to, where do I go when I'm struggling, church? <laughs> I got too many things. I got too many places. You heard all that? Calm down. <laughs> Y'all relax a little bit. I went to Walmart. All right? That, that's my other spot. Right? Because they got everything. You want to eat. They got food. They got electronics. They got house supplies. 1030 at night, I'm in Walmart. Walmart didn't work, but I was hungry. But I was like, man, we're going to be at the park after church. I know I want a double-double, but I ain't going to eat a double-double because I'm going to fall out trying to run around the bases. So I said, I'm not going to do that. So I was really hungry, and I was more frustrated, and I got to the coffee shop, and I still wanted to eat. But it's funny how just because I didn't eat, I told you how the rest of the story went. God began to speak to me. God began to change the situation and the circumstances. This is not just some old book with old wives' fables, right? It's the truth. It's true for them. It's true for us. If you deny yourself and put yourself in a position to hear from God, you'll hear from him. Right? So he saw heaven opened up, an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him, let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wandered within himself, what this vision which he had seen meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. They called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter thought about the vision, the spirit said to him, behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he whom you seek. For what reason have you come? They said, Cornelius the centurion, a just man, one who fears God, has a good reputation among all the nations of the Jews. He was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. See, God's will will always connect truth seekers with witnesses. Think about that. The will of God, time and time again, without fault, 100% of the time, if you are seeking truth, God will connect you with witnesses. And if you will be a witness, God will connect you with truth seekers. Here's the question. Will witnesses testify? And will truth seekers accept the truth? Amen. Remember, like I said, it can be true, but if you don't accept that truth, it'll have no impact in your life. Yeah. Here's the issue with the church today. There are people who are supposed to be witnesses or people who are witnesses that will not testify. You don't know it, but there are people around you. If you're a witness, a real witness of God, and his love, and his forgiveness, and his power. If you're a real witness, God has sent truth seekers around you. And if you're not testifying, nothing's happening. 
Think about this. Peter, he's like, I'm just going to pray. That's what I do. I'm going to pray. God speaks to Peter. God prepares him. God shows him what's exactly about to happen. Wouldn't you love if God told you, hey, just so you know, Somebody's going to knock on your door, or you're going to meet somebody in the grocery store. You're going to be downtown Brea having lunch, and somebody's going to talk to you. Wouldn't that make it a whole lot easier to testify if you knew they were coming? Well, how many of you are praying? And how many of you are fasting? And how many of you are wrestling with God about the things you think are true and things that he's telling you that's not the truth? I have truth for you. How many of you are like Peter, and God says, do this, and you say, no, I've never done that before. I always show up early. I always sit in this seat. I always read this time. I always pray this way. I always listen to this music, and God's saying, no, I want you to do it this way. And he has to say it over and over again. If we'll be obedient as witnesses and let him change and transform us and show us the difference between relative truth and absolute truth, well, then maybe you'll hear the voice of God telling you exactly what's going to happen to you tomorrow. So listen to how the story begins to close. Verse 23, Peter invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. I'm sorry, i got to do it one more time. (laughs) Peter had confidence in who they were and that he was supposed to witness to them because God told him, don't worry about these men, I've sent them, these three men, right? And then it says Peter brought them into his own house and let them lodge there and let them sleep there. I'm reminded of a, of a story when, when I got saved that God was just moving. I thought I could do whatever I want and God was just going to take care of me. I picked up these, these uh, four homeless young adults. I was doing this kind of stuff all the time and I took them to church. And I was so proud and so excited, right? Let's go to church. Oh, they're going to come with us. Called the pastor. Hey, we're coming. They're going to be here. There's four people. You know, God's going to move. God, move, service happened. And then I asked them, well, where do you guys live? Where do you want me to take you? They're like, yeah, we don't, we don't really have anywhere to live, but we've been staying in this particular place. So I get back in the car with them, and at least I was smart enough not to have Mary in the car with me. I sent Mary uh, in a different car. And driving right here, 91 to the 57, they all start chanting in the back of my car, let's start a crisis. I'm driving in the car with them, and they're like, let's start a crisis, let's start a crisis, let's start a crisis. And all I can picture in my mind is one of them is about to grab the wheel. You could see and feel and hear the evil coming out of them. But because I was ignorant to what the word of God says, and I was not seeking and pursuing the spirit of God to reveal to me, I put myself in a dangerous situation. And I would have put my wife in a dangerous, or she wasn't even my wife yet, I would have put her in a dangerous situation if it wasn't for the will of God protecting her, because I wasn't the kind of man that could do that yet. So I did what any good disciple should do, grab my cell phone. Hey, pastor, remember you said you was going to meet me right here on the corner? <laughs> and he's on the phone like, what are you talking about? I'm like, yeah, right here on the Wendy's on Imperial, right? He was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm pulling off right now. I pulled off the freeway and I jumped out the car. <laughs> and I told him, hey, man, I'm going to wait for my pastor here, but you guys are kind of on your own. I got 10 bucks. There's a Wendy's right here. You guys can get some food, Right? I'm not lying. That's exactly what happened. (laughs) Why? Because I was not like Peter. The Holy Spirit was not talking to me. I didn't have confirmation. I was doing exactly what I should be doing. So then I had to escape. I much rather prefer what God does with Peter. Because we can think we're doing good and we can be inviting harm to ourselves and to our families. It ain't all good. promise you that. 
So they invited him to lodge with them. The next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. The following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was waiting for them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. See, Cornelius shared the Facebook post. <laughs> I know you see it, right? Cornelius, they showed up. Hey, Peter's here. He came. Let me get all my friends and family. That's what Cornelius did. He called together his relatives and close friends. Peter was coming in. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. You're not going to worship me. I'm not God. I know you called me, but you didn't call to worship me. You called me to tell you about the one you should worship. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Right? When God shows you something, God was using a sheet and all these animals, but he was preparing the heart and mind of Peter to go and to talk to these people that he used to call unclean. And say, God says they're not unclean. The world says they are. The old priest, right, used to tell you that they are, but I'm God and I'm telling you they're not. You had relative truth and now I'm giving you absolute truth, Peter. But he had to work through it and work it out, just like you and I have to do. Verse 29, therefore I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Ask then, for what reason have you sent me? See, another thing I love about this story is God didn't work it all out for Peter and for Cornelius. He gave him just enough information. Hey, you call Peter. Hey, Peter, somebody's going to call you. And then when they get there, Peter's looking at Cornelius like, well, what do you want? And Cornelius is like, well, God just told me to have you come here. You know why? Because when God brings truth seekers together with witnesses who will testify, believe me, it'll work itself out. You don't need every detail from then on out. Just be there and be the Christian that God told you to be and ask the questions that God told you to ask. And I guarantee you something good will happen. So he says, what do you want? Peter says, what do you want? Cornelius says, I had a dream, and this is what happened. And then this is the end of the story. Verse 34. After Cornelius tells Peter, look, I had a dream. The angel came. They told me to go find you. I sent my guys to find you. Here you are. Tell us something. Verse 34 of Acts 10. Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. In every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he's the Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. Peter tells this man who he never met before with boldness and confidence, he says, you know what? I'm a witness. I'm going to tell you about the birth, 
the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of God. It's Jesus Christ, and if you put your faith in him, you will be saved. A truth seeker who was already doing the best that he could. Remember, he's giving alms. He's praying. He's, got, he's well respected with everybody in the community, no matter where they're from. He was doing all he could, but it would not have mattered. He would have still went to hell unless a witness would have told him the truth. It's not by being good, Cornelius. It's not by giving tithes, Cornelius. It's not by being nice to everybody, Cornelius. It's by putting your faith in Jesus Christ that you're saved. Let's show what happens when this comes together. Last four verses. While Peter was still speaking, he's still witnessing, he's still talking. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. And those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. These are the people that came with Peter. As many as came with Peter because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. Then Peter answered, Can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. You have a true seeker. You have a witness who testifies to the truth, not just regurgitating words, but you heard Peter. He said, I was a witness. I saw it. I ate with him. I dined with him. They hung him on a tree and he rose from the dead and he appeared not to everybody, but he did appear to me. He told them the truth and it says, while he was still talking, the Holy Spirit confirmed Cornelius' salvation and the salvation of everybody in his household who he had brought to make sure that they would hear the truth. And then Peter says this, let's baptize them. Let's not do that. Uh, I'm glad that you introduced, you got introduced to Jesus. I'm glad that uh, I was able to come out here and minister to you a little bit. And, you know, it's, it's powerful that the Holy Spirit fell on you. And we'll see you in a little while. He says, no, it's time to go all in. I'm not leaving your house. We're going to find some water and you're going all in. This is not something to take lightly. This isn't some information, some new information you have that's going to make your life better. This is absolute truth that changes and transforms. You need to now die with Christ, be submerged completely in this water. You need to be raised in newness of life. And look here, Cornelius, I know that you're a man of power, you're a man of influence, you're a man of authority, but you can never deny Christ again from this point on. If they want to take your authority, if they want to take your power, you better be willing to give it up because he gave up everything for you Amen. that's what baptism is about it's not about some sprinkling it's not about uh, a service that needs to take place it's not about just an outward sign of an inward work it's look I've been saved I've been filled with the Holy Spirit I have died to my old life and I now live with the reigning king from the kingdom of heaven amen amen <laughs> worship team worship team come if you would stand with us for just a moment, I want to pray and I want to worship the king. This is not relative truth. It's absolute truth. This is not just good information. This is not circumstantial. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are in the world. If you hear the truth and you receive it, the Bible says that you'll be saved, that the Holy Spirit will come and fill you and indwell you and give you confirmation. Wouldn't it have been sad if at the end of everything that Peter had to say, God orchestrated this, there was a seeker that was looking, God finds a witness who's willing to testify, the truth is proclaimed. Could you imagine if Cornelius had to look at his family and say, hey, I think it's true. 
I think it's true. What do you guys say? Should we, should we give everything we've got? Should we change our lives? Should we follow this man, Peter, who's a Jew, and go in this direction? Let's take votes and see what we're going to do. That would be sad. But when you read through the scriptures, what God says is that you don't have to trust a man. You don't have to trust a woman. You don't have to trust an experience that you had, right? Because there was some kind of skit and there was some kind of music and we did this thing with the lighting and, and Cornelius showed up with a, with a group of people and, oh, it just feels like I should do it. No, he says, I will send my spirit to live inside of you. Amen. What a promise. What truth is that? God says, I know people are going to tell you that you can't believe in what you can't see. I know people are going to tell you that from what they're able to see, they think that this is some kind of evolution. He says, but I've got a revolution for you. I've got a revelation for you. I'm God, and because I'm a trinity, a father, a son, and a Holy Spirit, I can come and actually live inside of you. Nobody can tell you a lie after that happens. You'll never believe another lie. You may not know everything that the Bible has to say, but what you do know is that Jesus is real and you have been changed. This morning, can we bow our heads, close our eyes? The truth this morning, heads bowed, eyes closed. The truth this morning is that there is a God and there's only one God. He's a trinity, he's Father, he's Son, Holy Spirit. He has always existed. He's the eternal one. He says he knows the end from the beginning. He says that he knows the number of hairs on your head. He knew you before you were even formed in your mother's womb. That if you are hearing the truth this morning, it is not the words of a man. He says, everyone who hears the truth, hears my voice. This morning, if you're hearing the truth, and you've never accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, now it's the time to receive the truth. Many hear it, but you've got to do something about it. The truth is true whether you want to believe it or not. This morning, I pray that you would receive it. I pray that you would trust that when God says, if you give your life to me, if you ask me, if you recognize that you're a sinner, no matter how good you've made your life look, if you recognize you're a sinner and you ask me, I'll come and wash it all away. I'll forgive you of every sin, of every mistake, past, present, and future. Don't worry about your sins of tomorrow. He knows the end from the beginning. He wipes them all away. And he says he'll send his spirit to live inside of you. You've got to accept it this morning. You've got to ask for it this morning. The truth will have no impact unless you ask for it this morning. Some will joke, some will talk, some will be focused on other things, but everyone who does not bow before the Lord and ask for forgiveness will end up in hell. That's the truth this morning. That's the truth this morning. Would you make a decision for Christ? If you need to be saved, if you want to be saved, I told you my story. I made that decision and it took three days before I felt the Holy Spirit alive inside of me but I felt it it might be today it might be three days from now it might be three months from now but the decision has to be made you have to receive the truth if you're here heads are bowed eyes are closed nobody's talking nobody's looking around if that's you would you raise your hand 
You want to ask Christ into your life? Amen. I see you. I see you. He sees you. He knows the end from the beginning. He sees you. Anybody else this morning? Just raise your hand where you stand. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah, Lord. I'm going to pray. Would you just talk to God on your own, in your own heart, in your own mind this morning? I know he's already speaking to you, but here's what I want you to picture as we pray. He says in the beginning, he created the heavens and the earth. He existed before that. He exists after that. The Bible tells us that there will be a new heaven and a new earth. He says that he is the king. The scriptures say that in his kingdom, where he is, that the angels worship day and night. And every time somebody gives their life to Jesus and they're forgiven of their sins, they're washed by the blood that he shed. It says that all of heaven, all of his kingdom rejoices. Right now, what I want you to see, what I want you to receive, what I want you to know as truth is that all of heaven is rejoicing because you have given your life to Jesus. Amen.